Luke chapter 11 this morning, verses 29 to 36. Luke 11, 29 to 36, page 1043. If you're watching on the live stream, then welcome to you. And if you can find a Bible in your house, then Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they're unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to shoot arrows at the sun, said the king. Go on, and he pointed up at the sun. And all his soldiers obediently obeyed and tried, and they, they strung their bows and they shot arrows towards the sun as it shone in the sky. And as they stretched, they reached as far as they could. And can you guess what happened? None of them made it. And the king was enraged. He said, I want you to shoot the sun. Come on. So they tried and they tried and they tried all day and they sweated and they strained and they couldn't do it. The sun went down that day and they came back the next day and there was the king standing and giving the same order. I want you to shoot the sun, do it. And so the soldiers, trembling with fear, wanting to please the king, tried to shoot the sun. And all day that they tried and they tried and they tried and all the arrows fell short. They went to bed that night with the king muttering dark threats about how he... He was going to punish them for not being able to do what he'd asked them to do. The third day in the morning, they got up again to try again. And the smallest archer, the youngest boy amongst them, came to where the king was sitting. He was sitting by a little pond in his palace gardens. And the young lad strung his bow. And instead of pointing up at the sun, he pointed it down at the pond to where the sun was reflected in the water. And he shot an arrow straight into the heart of the sun. And the king watched it explode into glittering ripples. And he had what he wanted. No one had thought that maybe instead of pointing all the way up there at the unattainable, that you could look down exactly where you were. So goes this ancient story, which rather captures my imagination. 
Last week we were talking about agnosticism in, in our sermon, and uh, we, we called it agnosticism part one. And today I want to return for agnosticism part two. Agnosticism is the belief you may know that, that we can't be sure about God's existence. You just can't know, his, you can't prove his existence or his non-existence. So we have to remain in this agnostic state, not knowing. And it can feel a bit like shooting arrows at the sun, can't it? Oh, I wish, I really wish I could shoot the sun and I could, I could explode this great unknown mystery about God. But I can't, so you have to give up eventually. So you remain in a state of not knowing. But the wonder of Christianity is that God comes down, isn't it? I mean, Jesus comes down to earth. He ends up really at close quarters with you, like the king with the pond in his garden. And you end up saying, oh, didn't expect this at all. This has totally turned my expectations on its head. But here is the son of God himself. And so Jesus has been nudging us and encouraging us to think about agnosticism with more certainty than we might have expected. Last week, we looked at the fact that agnosticism fails to account for the spirit realm, for, for good and evil in the world. And this week, Jesus is getting around to answering the second question or, or, or point that's been raised. If you have your Bibles, just track with me. Because someone made a request back in verse 16. Do you see verse 16? Not the bit we just read, it's just before that. Others tested him by asking for a, a what, somebody? A sign from heaven. You see that? And uh, he didn't get to it straight away, but you drop down the column to verse 29 where our reading starts. You see what happens there, verse 29? As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asked for a sign. So he, he seems to be addressing the, the point that was raised earlier on. That's why we call it part two. None will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Now, I'll explain that stuff about Jonah and the Ninevites. But the gist of his answer is this. You don't need another sign. I'm right in front of you. You have the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. Don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a human like you too. I, I too have seen the evidence in the world and I too know that God is invisible to us. Life is very hard and some things that happen in life can make you particularly wonder. I'm not saying it's easy to be sure about religion, but we can spend our whole lives shooting arrows at the sun, so to speak, you know, desperately looking for some kind of reaching of God, bringing him closer when actually... He's, he's come and he's walked amongst us. There are two paragraphs in uh, today's Bible reading, so I'm just going to try and treat each in turn. The first one is a bit of a rant, actually, from Jesus, and the second one is an image, so we'll, we'll, we'll take those two. The first, the first paragraph I summarize like this. You don't need another sign. You don't need another sign. Verses 29 to 32. Jesus is talking about, you know, when they ask for a sign, it's much like what Katie was saying in her kids' slot. You know, they were asking for a miracle. Can you do something amazing to show us? You know, can you feed the 5,000 again or do something? And God is kind. You know, Jesus does actually do more signs. And uh, God often gives signs to people in this day and age. You may have been the lucky recipient of one in your life. You know, something which makes you think, wow, uh, this makes it clear to me what I need to do in this particular situation. But the point here is you don't need another one. I'm right in front of you. When the Son of Man is standing smack bang in front of you and you're saying, could you do another magic trick for us, please? Because I'm not, I'm not convinced yet. That draws a, a strong response from Jesus, a strict warning. 
And we should be careful too, shouldn't we? I mean, in that day and age, he was talking to Jews. They were standing on the soil of Israel. You know, they had the legacy of the prophets. They had everything that God had given Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're standing in front of the Son of God who was promised and saying, not convinced yet. Could you do something else? But we too, I think, should be careful. You know, we live in England, the land of Bibles. <laughs> there are so many Bibles in English, you know. We have heaps of them in this church. You might have a heap of them at home as well. We live in the land where there is a church in every village with a Bible in it. We live in the land where you're free to follow Jesus Christ. And no one's going to stop you, legally speaking. We live in the land of historic theology where they wrote like the Westminster Confession and the 39 Articles and the Book of Common Prayer. We live in that country, in fact, that city. So we should be careful you know, if we say to Jesus, could you do something else, please? Hmm. Jesus doesn't actually say you don't need a sign. He says you'll get one. Verse 29. None will be given to it. None will be given it except the sign of Jonah. You know the story of Jonah? If you're revived at the Commission Bible Festival last year, you'll, you'll know it. You remember it's, it's in the Old Testament, and Jonah was a Jewish prophet who was sent by God to the wicked capital city of Assyria, which is in a foreign country, and the, the city was called Nineveh. They were fabulously evil. I mean, you can see in the British Museum the way they impaled people on poles, and um, they just bullied people in the ancient world. So Jonah was sent there, and he didn't want to go there to, to preach Jesus, well, preach God to them. So he ran away, and he had this altercation with a fish. You heard about the fish, kind of famous story, and he gets swallowed by a fish, spends three days in the belly of the fish, and eventually he gets spat out again. I don't think the fish is actually the sign of Jonah. This says um, Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. If you read this, this same um, story in Matthew, it does actually mention the resurrection, and I think that is talking about the fish. But here Jesus is saying, just as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites. I think the fish was assigned to Jonah. The fish was a great big whacking sign to Jonah saying, no, not over there, please, my friend, over there towards Nineveh, just like I told you. But Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites. Jonah was supposed to pitch up with his sermon and, and preach a difficult message to that city. And so Jesus says here, Jonah, similarly, you're going to get a similar sign to that. That's me. Jonah chapter 3 is striking. Do you want to hear Jonah's entire sermon that's been handed down to us? It won't take me very long. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. <laughs> well, that's punchy, isn't it? I mean, that, that, was, that was Jonah's sermon. And to the Ninevites' great credit, it says in Jonah chapter 3, they believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The king of Nineveh himself decreed that everyone should call urgently on God give up their evil ways and their violence. God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Isn't that amazing? Jonah just turned up in this foreign city and started preaching about God's justice. And it just hit them right between the eyes. He didn't actually need a cool story with a whale. I don't know if he told them that bit. But they needed a warning. The sign of Jonah. The other example, there's, there's two examples in this first paragraph Jesus gives. He talks about the Queen of the South. And uh, I was raised on um, football stats, and this makes me think of Scottish Premiership football, but it's not. That means nothing to some of you. It is a team called the Queen of the South. That wasn't in the script. Uh, this is the Queen of Sheba. So in the Old Testament, there's the Queen of Sheba, 1 Kings chapter 10. 
and she came from far away, like probably 1,400 miles at least from the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. She traveled from modern-day Yemen all the way across the Arabian desert to get to Jerusalem where Solomon was in those days because she'd heard that he was a wise guy and she wanted to hear his wisdom. If you've studied Proverbs with us the last two terms, she wanted a bit of that. I mean, she wanted the Proverbs of Solomon because she'd heard this is the good stuff. I want to get myself down there. And uh, she did. She, she probably took a, at least a month's round trip with a, Karen, um, a, a, a camel caravan, a wagon train. And she got there to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And she said, um, how happy your people must be and how happy your officials. She was so thrilled to have heard it herself. So th- these two, two examples, Jesus says, um, Jonah, Queen of Sheba. And then he says two amazing things. Verse 31, now... Something greater than Solomon is here. What? Or verse 32, now something greater than Jonah is here. Sorry, Jesus, come again. Did you just say you were, you were greater than Solomon? You, you, were, you were greater than that mass revival in Nineveh that turned, turned thousands of people to the Lord? Yeah, I did, yeah, I did. That was me. Interestingly, he says something. So I think he's referring to the kingdom of God of which he is unashamedly the king. So when he says something greater, I think he says the kingdom of God is here. Like he said last week, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Isn't that breathtaking? With a few of you um, in our leadership training class this week, we were looking at Solomon's reign and that was an amazing reign. You know, he brought silver and chariots and horses and peace to Israel. There were all sorts of spices and benefits of being in Solomon's kingdom. And Jesus casually, knowing all that, says something greater than Solomon's here. So be careful, my friends. You don't need another sign. I think you've all heard about Jesus. I think you all know that you need to repent of evil ways, or if you don't, I'd love to explain that to you afterwards. I think this is not actually just picture language. I think when Jesus says, the queen will rise at the judgment and condemn that generation, I think he might be telling the truth there. I would like to call as my witness the queen of the south. Could you just tell us, If someone has an opportunity to hear about the living God, is it possible to take that up? Yes, it is. I did it. Men of Nineveh, could you just tell us, if you hear a a snatch of the gospel, a snippet, is it possible to repent fully? Yes, it is. Yes, we did that. It's been a sad week in the Church of England in this regard. You may have heard how there's been disagreement in the the Church of England of which we're a part over marriage and sexuality and this week the bishops made their intention public to allow prayers of blessings for a a range of possible relationships. As far as I can tell, this compromise that they're proposing seems to have satisfied absolutely nobody. Some in the Church of England and indeed in our own church are dismayed that this doesn't go far enough and I I'm horrified that the bishops are offering to bless activity that God has clearly said is sinful. We must leave sexual immorality when we come to Christ. That's what the church has always taught. So we must warn people there is a great judgment coming. Jesus says here, this is a wicked generation. So all of us are like Ninevites, but he lovingly invites us to leave our old lives and come and follow him. I feel very acutely people's distress on this topic. I think that's why I got emotional earlier on talking about our church because I, I love everybody in our church and I, 
I want to hold an event in the coming weeks and months when church members can come and hear more and ask questions. So I'll tell you more about that and when it's going to happen, what we can do. But you see Jesus' point here. You don't need another sign. You have the Son of Man. Second thing, he says you have the light. This is great news. You have the light, verses 33 to 36. Do you want to follow with me? No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. In those days, a light wasn't electric, right? So you know, they, they, they had a, a naked flame. Uh, you've got to think of Aladdin in his lamp. You, know, you can picture that sort of lamp with a long um, spout and the, the flame would come out the end. It had oil in it. So um, the closest thing that we use today regularly is candles. Somebody told me that they, uh, a few months ago, you know, when we were all very worried about Vladimir Putin cutting off our gas, they just went out and bought loads of candles. So um, imagine that person, and they're in the middle of a power cut in London in 2023, and they get the candle. They're very pleased that they've got loads of candles in the cupboard. And so they light their candle... And presumably then, they take their beloved candle, throwing light into the corners of their house, and they do this. Fantastic. So, doing its job. Everyone happy with that? No, terrible idea. Because when you light a candle, you don't put it somewhere where it'll be hidden, Jesus says. You put it under a bowl. You put it somewhere where it's going to be seen, where it can do its job. You have the light. Why is Jesus talking about lamps on on stands all of a sudden? Because putting together the, the previous paragraph, remember he was talking about, you don't need another sign, you've got me. Putting that together with the very next thing he says, he seems to be saying, You have the light. You have the light. Jesus, of course, says in the Gospels, I am the light of the world. He says it explicitly. Or then he goes on to change the image slightly. So he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. So what he means is your your eyes, I know it's slightly hard to understand, but your eyes let in the light, right? I don't know much about biology, but there's a retina and in the light goes and it's in my body and then I've got information that I can do something with. Your whole body functions easier if it has light. I have a minor eye problem at the moment. Um, I've got dry eyes. And so I go to the optician and they say, oh, your eyes are very dry. Um, you need, and this is what they prescribe, it's very easy. I'm supposed to get a flannel every day and I wet the flannel with hot water and then I put it over my eyes. And um, sometimes, I was sort of doing this, I'm feeling daft, but I'm trying, hoping it's going to make my eyes better. And then um, sometimes I try and walk to my bed from the bathroom because I think, well, I've got, to, I've got to do like five or ten minutes like this, so I may as well try and go to my bed. So I'm sort of just, it's just incredibly hard I'm trying to move around. And I'm trying to get out of the bathroom towards the bedroom, towards my bed, and then I'm trying to sit down and lie down. And I'm thinking, wow, everything is hard. I really can't see a thing, especially when it's wet. And everything is harder if my, if my lamp, my eye, is obscured, my vision is bad, bumping into things all over the place. 
Jesus says, you don't live in a universe where it's dark like that. You know, it, it, it's not like you're guessing and shooting arrows at the sun, desperately wondering, oh, is there a God or isn't there? What am I supposed to do with my life? The universe is full of light. Isn't that amazing? Everything, everything in life is harder when you move your body if you can't see properly. Be, properly. But it's so much easier in spiritual terms if you know what you're supposed to do and you can operate with the priorities of the kingdom of God. Verse 35, Jesus gives the main instruction of today's passage. Verse 35, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. I think that's what Jesus is urging us to do as a church this week. We must get a handle on this. See to it that the light within you is not darkness. Our, our body needs to take in as much spiritual light as possible. So if you are an agnostic living in a universe of unknowns wanting to be able to reach an arrow to the sun and stretching, stretching, stretching but never getting there I mean that's a real downer but if you're a Christian then the universe is full of light God came to earth as the light of the world darkness thought it had beaten him and locked him up in a cupboard forever but then he exploded that cupboard it was called the grave and he strode out of it and ascended to reign at the right hand of the Father now interceding in your favour if you're a Christian the universe is full of light our job is to take in as much of Jesus as possible. How do you do that? What does it mean when Jesus actually says, well, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness? Well, look, I've been thinking about that. And our home groups are going to delve into this a bit more. So if you're in a home group, then we'll come back to this this week. We're going to do a special sort of one-off looking back at this sermon and the last one. But let me leave you with two things for now. Practically speaking, what does this mean? seems to mean the word of God and the kingdom of God. The word of God, because Jesus has been talking today about heeding his words, like the Queen of the South and the Ninevites heeded the words they heard. Indeed, just before our passage in verse 28, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. One of you was telling me recently how um, you commute to work on the tube and um, you're often trying to read your Bible. I don't know why I'm doing this. It's, I'm sort of mimicking a tube carriage or something. But um, you notice that there are often lots of other people reading the Bible on the tube. And you found that very encouraging. I must say I do too. Isn't that lovely to think of people just converging on London through the tube network uh, every morning as they read the word of God. It's a wonderful thing. So in our city we have the word of God and there are many, many people reading it, putting it into action in 100,000 ways every day. Word of God. And the second thing Jesus seems to have in mind is the kingdom of God. He talks about this often. In particular, remember in verse 31, he said something greater than Jonah is here. And we said, we think, we think he's, he's talking about the kingdom here. It's one of Jesus' favorite themes. He was talking about it only last week in verse 20 as well, when he said that the kingdom of God has come. So putting these recent things together, I think his point is, look, live and operate and take decisions as if the kingdom of God is real and you live in it. Don't walk around with a flannel over your face. You know, wouldn't it be a shame to spend, spend my life off doing the spiritual equivalent of groping around in darkness, wondering what I'm supposed to do. Maybe you think money is the main thing you need. Well, something greater than money is here. Maybe you think your career is the main thing you need to focus on. Something greater than a career is here. Maybe you think romance would be the answer to your problems. Well, something greater than romance is here. Maybe you find it hard to leave behind Things that Jesus is calling you to leave behind. But something greater than those things is here. 
We don't need to shoot arrows at the sun, you know, desperately trying to hit it, wondering if we'll ever get any answers. Because the sun came down, and he is the light of the world. Let's take a moment, shall we? Maybe take a moment in silence. And if the Holy Spirit is laying something on your heart, then talk to the Lord silently about it, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Lord God, there is much that is hard about the world and as much we sometimes wish we knew about God, about how to do things in church life. But you've put a song in my heart today, Lord, as, as we live in a universe that's flooded with light, that's, that's witnessed the touching down of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Saviour. We believe that he is the light of the world. We believe that his words are the ones to follow. And whether he has things that are easy and light for us to hear or, or heavy and difficult for us to pick up and carry, we do pray, Father, that you would be gracious to us and we would see to it that the light within us is not darkness. Pray we'd particularly know, as individuals as in a church, the word of God and the kingdom of God as we go forward into this week. And we ask it in your mercy. Amen.